A.W. Tozer says uh, that he believes there is scarcely an error in Christian doctrine or Christian ethics that can't ultimately be traced back to a misconception on how we view God. It's a really interesting idea for me that, that when we get our perception of God wrong, it doesn't just affect um, our idea of who He is, but it affects kind of the rest of our theology and also how we behave and act in the world. So throughout this season of Lent, um, we're going to be thinking about our visions of God, those that um, perhaps deviate from Scripture and what it might mean to bring them back in line with the Word of God. And today, I particularly want to think about this idea of a God who exists to solve our problems. And I'm calling this the get-out-of-jail-free God. Uh, and I think we all fall into this trap sometimes, right? Of, of course, God cares about our problems, but sometimes we begin to think that's His main reason for being, right? That God exists uh, to fix my problems. Uh, and it's a little bit like we are uh, little kids with our parents, right, with these crazy expectations of them. So I, I thought it might be helpful as we begin this conversation this morning to think about, uh, and if you're a parent, you've been through this before, some of the ways that kids um, expect their parents to be problem solvers, okay, or um, some of the things that are crises for our children. So I just pulled a few of these off the internet, um, and I just want to share a few ideas with you. Um, so just show my first little picture um, this is a little boy crying, and uh, life is super tough when you can't pick up the book you want because you're sitting on it, right? Um, we've all been there. That's heartbreaking, right? The poor kid can't get his book. Okay. Um, all right, give me another one. Um, we wouldn't let him swim in the sea. He can't swim, and it's six degrees. So, I mean, you get why you'd be on the ground crying in that situation, right, if you're the child. Okay. Um, she wanted ravioli for dinner. I made ravioli for dinner. She didn't want ravioli for dinner. <laughs> Pretty sure that's happened in our family like a lot of times. He wants to get on the bus, the bus on the TV. That does make it harder. Yeah, okay. Um, and this is my favorite. The Golden Gate Bridge isn't actually golden, um, leading to a complete collapse, right? Uh, so I, I love these because if you're a parent, you've had a moment or many moments where a child has come to you uh, in something that felt like a massive crisis for them. And, and you had to navigate that with them, right? To say, okay, I, I love you and I care about this, but also, like, I can't make the Golden Gate, Golden, Golden Gate Bridge golden and it's not actually a problem, right? Uh, and and I, I wonder how often um, we come to God uh, and He has the same experience with us as we have with our children in those moments, right? We bring our problems to God and He says, I, I love you, but I, this isn't a problem I can solve or that needs to be solved. Uh, a personal example, uh, last night was a very, very difficult night in my family. So uh, I, I'm assuming that most of you, like me, were just overwhelmed with sorrow last night. Uh, in fact, that's why I'm wearing my tie today, because um, Duke basketball uh, had our last home game with Coach Krzyzewski. He has been coaching as long as I have been alive, 42 years. And he had his last home game at Duke last night. We played our arch rivals, UNC, and we lost. Um, yeah, thank you. That's how I'm feeling. Uh, and and I, as I watched the, the screen afterwards, I mean, I could see all the kids in the stands crying, um, the college students in the stands crying. Uh, and I won't 
um, confirm or deny whether there were any tears that happened in the Gates household. That's just for you to imagine. But, um, you know, afterwards I thought, boy, you know, uh, this feels like a crisis to me. Um, and, and I wonder how God views my emotion around this basketball game. I wonder how God thinks about um, the imagined crisis for me, which is I didn't play in this game, but I've been cheering for this team for a while and I'm really sad. And I wonder how many of the things that we bring to God are like that, are, uh, are these um, almost too small problems, right? Not that God doesn't care about our small problems, um, but that very often we would like Him to swoop in and solve all of our issues to get us out of jail free, and, uh, and God's saying, hey, you're kind of missing the point. So, so come with me to the prayer of Jabez for a minute, because Jabez isn't as, uh, as small as basketball games or ravioli, right? I mean, Jabez is asking for some big stuff. Uh, in fact, um, you know, the, the basic contours of this prayer are pretty good. Jabez asks for um, God to, and he says, enlarge my border and bless me. I want some financial success. Uh, let your hand be with me. I want your presence with me. Uh, and keep me from hurt and harm. I want some health and some protection. And, and I, I think we'll talk more about Jabez in a minute, but I don't think we're to read this in a negative way. This isn't a bad prayer, okay? Um, but, but I think it becomes problematic for us if we, and perhaps Jabez too, come to God as sort of the, the answer machine for every woe or, or problem in our life. And, and I, I want to just take Jabez's prayer for a moment. And those three requests, the, the prayer for provision, for stuff, and the prayer for God's presence, and the prayer for God's protection. And I want to just compare them to the story in the life of Jesus. Because I'm totally convinced that what it means to be a Christian is to follow Jesus and want to be like Jesus. So I think about Jesus' life, and I think, you know, does Jesus ever pray for provision? Well, He asks for His daily bread, right? His daily bread. Uh, I don't ever see Jesus asking for larger borders. In fact, we're told that Jesus describes Himself as a homeless man. He, he probably lives in tents and in the homes of friends and loved ones. He's not enduring incredible financial success. And so uh, Jesus, at least, doesn't look at his financial situation as a problem that God has to solve. Jabez asks God to um, physically protect him. And again, nothing wrong with this prayer at all. But I look at the life of Jesus, and I recognize quite clearly um, that this is not a prayer that he lifts up. He asks God to spiritually protect him, deliver me from evil. But in his life, he goes through quite a lot of physical pain, um, most significantly the cross on which he died for our sins. And, and I love the prayer asking for God's presence, and I absolutely believe um, that Jesus promises us God's presence. Right at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, he says, I will be with you always till the end of the age. But even Jesus has moments where he doesn't feel God's presence. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, he says as he hangs on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and so I look a little bit at the life of Jesus, and I wonder if even though those things are good, right, it's good to ask God to take care of us financially, and it's good to ask God to heal us, and it's good to ask 
God to make His presence known to us. Um, sometimes God has a bigger picture in mind than just meeting those physical needs in our life. And when we reduce God to just being the get-out-of-jail-free card with every problem, small or, or um, what we feel like as big, we miss what Jesus really came to do. Because we're told that Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness and being found in human form, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, I, I think that when we begin to see God's role in our lives as divine problem solver, in the little stuff or in the big stuff, um, we can get some theology and some behavior that's kind of problematic. A number of years ago, uh, in another church, um, someone had a conversation with my wife that um, we've talked about a few times since then, and they came up and said, hey, you know, you got, I'm going to tell you a great story. Um, my daughter was having a baby in a different state, and um, I, I had a plan to fly out there, and the baby started coming early, and, and I tried to move my flight up, and then it was all set, then my flight got delayed, and it was this whole long thing, but, but praise the Lord. Um, the, I, I made it there in time. It was just an extra five hours, um, but I made it there in time so I could be there when the baby was born. And, and I think my wife was sensitive to this because she just had a whole bunch of babies. Um, and she was thinking, well, it's great that you made it there to be there for the birth of your grandchild, but that extra waiting time for your daughter as she was in labor um, maybe wasn't so great for her, right? Um, and, and perhaps the the God getting you out of jail free um, only worked because someone else was in jail for a little while. Um, and, and I think sometimes we look at the world, the good and the bad stuff that happens, and we want to attribute everything to God rather than simply saying, hey, sometimes things happen. I have a, another friend who um, grew up in a, in a very loving Christian home and going to church on a regular basis and heard the promise again and again that um, God will be with you until the end of the age, and was sort of taught that that meant you'll always physically experience the presence of God. Uh, and then this friend went through a very severe depression. And in that depression, um, they experienced, as I think most people in depression do, a sense of distance, right, from other people, from their friends, from their family, and from God. But they had been told they would never experience a sense of distance from God. And so they began to doubt whether God was there at all um, or whether God was really good because if He was, why wasn't He showing up? And no one ever told them, hey, Jesus experienced that too, right? No one ever told them that this is part of the spiritual life is uh, this season uh, where you go through the valley of the shadow of death. And so... Um, that experience left them shaken. And I think this is a challenge for us, right? I think if we expect God to swoop in and solve every problem, uh, if we expect God, uh, even in those, those moments that feel like big things to us, to rescue us again and again, um, we miss part of the story of Scripture. 
So let me give you a different perspective. Uh, my, my friend uh, Joy and Craig Briggs often talk about this. Um, I want to ask you to think about an eternal mindset for a minute because God has an eternal mindset. And, and so God, like any good parent, does want to save His children from those things that are most uh, deadly and important. But for God, who doesn't see things in the um, day-to-day earthly time frame in which we live, God recognizes just one thing that absolutely requires Him to step in and swoop in and save us. And that one thing is our sin. The one thing that we can't possibly make right, the one thing that we can't possibly um, survive without His help is our sin. And so, in this one place in our life, we absolutely have a get-out-of-jail-free God. Because God says, hey, there's nothing that you have to do to be forgiven for your sin. There's nothing you have to accomplish or um, there's no right amount of good works that will earn my love or my grace. You get it for free. Um, Before you ever knew Jesus, He knew you and loved you and died for you. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that we earn in that, right? We just just get it for free. It is a get-out-of-jail-free card if we just have faith in Jesus. But everything else is different. So come back with me to Philippians chapter 2, because um, there's a a beautiful passage in here that is uncomfortable, I think, for us sometimes, but really important. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for His good pleasure." Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. See, in this one place, in this one area of our life, absolutely, uh, salvation, get out of jail free card. Um, God's our problem solver. But everywhere else, God doesn't come to solve our problems for us, but to partner with us. God wants to work with us in every other aspect of our life. He wants us to have the experience of working out all of our problems, not alone, um, but not with a cosmic rescuer either. He wants to partner with us. From the very beginning of the Bible, this is the message of Scripture, right? From the beginning of the Bible, God makes uh, humans and He says, um, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Partner with me. You and I are going to work in this world together. And the Christian message is that in our entire life outside of salvation, we get to partner with Jesus. And so I come back to the prayer of Jabez, and I think, um, yeah, absolutely, Um, God wants to take care of us financially. Every parent wants their child to be okay, but there's a partnership that happens in that, right? It's not just me, and it's not just God, it's us together. And sometimes the circumstances of our world make that harder. Sure, I believe that God wants us uh, to be physically healthy, but the circumstances of our life can make that difficult, and sometimes we partner with God And we say, hey, God, um, it's not working for me. I need you to step in. And sometimes he does, and sometimes he asks us to keep working out our own salvation with him. Even this idea of asking for God's presence. God says, yeah, I want to be present to you, but I want you um, to work with me in this. I want you to be in the Word. I want you to be in prayer. I want you to be in worship. If you want to experience the presence of God, come partner with me. 
I want to tell you a story uh, that comes in the book of Acts. And this is um, a story about a literal get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, so Paul in Acts chapter 16 is in prison along with his friend Silas. Uh, they've been arrested because um, they were spreading the gospel and they healed somebody. It's totally unfair. Uh, and they're in prison and they're um, praying and singing hymns to God. And all the other prisoners are listening to them. And then uh, this is, if you want to follow, this is Acts 16 verse 26. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed the prisoners had escaped. Okay, so if you're a jailer back then, you are accountable for the people you're keeping in prison, right? So if they get away, it's on you. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night he took them and washed their wounds. Then he, is an entire, he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police, saying, let those men go. I love this story because they're, I mean, they're literally in prison, right? And there's a miracle, an earthquake, like their prison chains fall off and the doors pop open and they don't leave. They just stay in prison, and it's dark. I mean, you get this, like, they're also just sitting in total pitch black darkness, and the jailer runs in, and he's going to kill himself. They're like, whoa, 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 we're still in prison, dude. Don't kill yourself. Um, and, and that's the moment where extraordinary things begin to happen, right? The earthquake is great, but the extraordinary thing is the partnership that happens when they say, hey, um, we want to tell you about the God who's so incredible that even though he can break our chains, we stayed in prison for you. We stayed in prison to make sure you'd be okay. That this is what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, St. Augustine talks about this a little bit, and he says, um, hey, good things happen in your life, and bad things happen in your life. And some of it just happens, and we don't know why. But he says, we must seek out the good things peculiar to the good and give the widest birth to the evils peculiar to evil men. In other words, he says, there might be seasons in your life where it feels like you're in prison. There might be seasons in your life where it feels like you're in prison and it's really not fair. And it might be a relationship and it might be a financial crisis and it might be a physical or a mental illness or it might be a sense of distance from God. And in those moments, it's okay to recognize that sometimes bad stuff just happens. But every time bad stuff just happens, there might not be a get-out-of-jail-free solution, but there's always an exalt-the-name-of-Jesus solution. There's always an opportunity to partner with God, not necessarily to get the problem solved, but to say, hey, God, in the midst of this prison, I want to point to you and point others to you. See, I believe that God has already rescued you um, from that one thing that you most desperately need help with, from the only thing that's eternal, 
Um, and because of that and everything else, he invites you to partner with him to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's give up on a God who gets us out of jail for free in every situation in our lives. And let's commit to a God who invites us to partner with him uh, to get the world um, out of jail and back to Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.